another edition of the Boilers Extra Podcast. I'm Nathan Baird from the Journal and Courier, along with our Purdue football beat writer, Mike Carmen. And for those of you who listen to the podcast each week, you may remember a few weeks ago we were doing season predictions. We thought Purdue would be 2-0 and unanimously among the podcast panel that Purdue would be 2-0 and at this point in the season. And I would instead, say 2-0, and but not overwhelming 2-0. and No, I, there, we had some <laughs> doubt about the, the Northwestern game, at least. Um, but now this team sits 0-2. And from from even before that game ended, I think people had kind of maybe started reassessing what this season can be now for Purdue. And, and maybe that's getting a little bit ahead of the – putting the cart ahead of the horse a little bit. But what – how has your opinion of this team changed or, or your, um, your perspective on this team changed after this 0-2 start? Well, you also I, – I, I always like to look – okay – why are you 0-2? How did you become 0-2? Right. It's just not, okay, you're 0-2. They're 0-2 and they've lost two games by five points. What does that mean in the bigger picture? Are they really that close? Or are they still a long way away from... They're a long, long way from last year, no question. But how far away are they this year based on who they have on the team and who you have to play every week? There's probably somewhere in the middle. The, the fact that they've been in these games, and you shouldn't have to be in a game against a Mac school, a middling Mac school, but you, you were by your own mistakes. Um, so when you look at how they're 0-2, they're 0-2 <clears throat> because they keep having bad penalties, untimely penalties, just popping up, you know, poor decisions, at the, at the wrong moment. They're 0-2 despite outgaining their two opponents by a combined 131 yards. Yeah. So the, off, the offense is moving the ball. You're getting yards out of the offense. You're not getting points. You're not getting touchdowns. And they're having problems in the red zone for a lot of reasons. Uh, some are penalties. Some are turnovers. Some are just inefficient plays. Right. Um, and then defensively um, – they they struggled out of the gate, which wasn't a big surprise. I thought they played better from an intensity standpoint and played harder last week. But too many mistakes, not only penalties, but something we didn't bring up in our truck podcast was truck cast the truck cast the Tacoma truck cast. Uh, no, no, make them pay for that. <laughs> Let's not call it that yet until somebody ponies up some sponsorship money. But that the cornerback situation. Where yeah. the guy dropped the touchdown pass, uh, you know, with Tim Case on there. Yeah. Uh, so they're having those kind of breakdowns. You know, the pass rush was better, but it was against a Mac school, so it should right. have been better. Right. You know, Cornell Jones is playing well, other than the one flag he got. Mm-hmm. Other guys are playing well, but they're making mistakes. So when you when you look when you look at what they've done these first two games, it's. You can say that they are an 0-2 team because of how they've played. You know, I, I do this uh, for those who, who read JC Online or the Journal and Curry each week. I do the grading the Boilers quick post-game grades. The, it's, and it's kind of a quick reaction. We do that so there's kind of a conversation piece right after the game. And some fans gave me some blowback for maybe, other than other than the coaches, I think everything else got at least a C-. And it was a really tough game. Not that these grades are important. But it was a. If you're trying to do something 
accurate here or something that has some value. It was a tough game to grade because of kind of what you're talking about. You know, look back at that first half. They drive the ball down, get in get in the red zone, settle for field goal. Drive the ball down, get in the red zone, settle for field goal. Drive the ball down, get in the red zone, turn it over. So that was three series in a row where you only got six points out of it, where it, it certainly you would think should have been more than that. And then that sequence at the end of the first half um, where Eastern Michigan's able to drive down and get that field goal. So what should have been probably a two-touchdown game at halftime is instead a two-point game at halftime. And just little things like that changed the complexion so much. You've got an offense that moved the ball so well on the ground, yes, against a MAC team, but still put up 300 and whatever. 341, 341 yards. 341 yards, which, which Purdue doesn't do every time it plays a MAC team. I mean, that was still kind of an outlier performance in recent Purdue history. And But then on, at, the, on, on the, at the same time, you had so much struggles in the passing game. You had a defensive front that played pretty well, I thought, again, even against MAC competition, but so much leakage in the passing game. And it was hard to – how do you grade those performances? Um, it, it, was such an, it was such an odd loss for Purdue because I don't know after these two games if you can point at any one specific phase of the game that's consistently letting them down necessarily – but other than they're just their 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 own stupid mistakes. Well, yeah, that, but that's almost a separate thing. It's right. not like you can say, "Oh, well, it's because the defense is so bad, or the offense is so bad, or even if they're terrible at one specific thing." <laughs> but there, there's also nothing really lifting this team up right now. Well, that's I think the thing. Maybe you're another not, way you're to not, look at you're it. Not, first of all, they probably overall talent. They don't have the talent to, to overcome these mistakes. Uh, right. That's the first thing. They don't have the overall talent to do that. That's number one. But they're just, you know, they're doing things that just defy <laughs> sometimes logic right. out on the football field. I get that guys are going 100 mile an hour. You're doing things. But at some point, you have to play with discipline and composure and poise. That's just the way it is. And a lot of these penalties slash mistakes are coming from experienced guys, guys that have been in the program for a while, guys that are captains. And to me, that's probably the most disturbing thing of this. If if guys like Cornell Jones and other young guys were just like caught up in the emotion of the game and yeah. you know just carried a guy out of bounds, you know, a step too far, right? It's a bad play, but it's more of a teaching moment for those young guys not to do that again, right? Where with your veterans, you don't expect DJ Knox to be in a position to get an unsportsmanlike penalty. You don't expect, uh, you know, Tim Kason or or uh, uh, Antonio Blackman to be in a position where they're going to get beat like that um, because they have experience. Uh, so that that's a little disturbing to me that a lot of these mistakes are coming from from guys that have done it before. And you go back to the first game with Lorenzo Neal, same thing. Where you really don't, you really don't expect that from a captain. You, you know, and it's it's a lot of these penalties too. We talked about this a little bit in that post game podcast, and we I think we probably both wrote about this a little bit. But they're happening at just the worst possible time. The timing of this team, this team's knack for timing has really been off these first two games. I mean, there's a lot of these penalties. If, if DJ Knox, whatever happened at the end of that touchdown run, if it happens in in a first half touchdown run it changes the whole complexion of, of, of what happens. Or if some of these penalties happen on a at midfield as opposed to happening in the red zone, changes the complexion completely of, of a maybe that 
drive was going to end in a punt anyway. It's, but I think the bigger problem is why is this team, and it, you know, coming down to the wire against what you you know again a mid level MAC team at home. That that was maybe I think probably when I when I kind of just assessed that whole game as, as as a whole. That was still probably if you're a Purdue fan, that's got to be the most frustrating thing is you thought you took a step forward last year, and then this still seemed very much like where this program has been mired for a while. Maybe that's unfair. Maybe we're going to find out that Eastern Michigan is a lot better than people thought they were. Um, you know, you've still got a, a second year, second year coach. I think they're second or third. No, he's uh, this is like his fifth year. Is it okay? But they're they they've obviously turned the corner. They've been upwardly mobile here. Well, they're, they're now fourteen and thirteen. Their last twenty seven games. Right. When he won three games in his first two years. Correct. Right. So they they've been building towards something, but I, again, to me, that's that, that that's not where Purdue is supposed to be. Right. Purdue is supposed to be taking care of those sorts of teams at home. And I think a lot of what the angst maybe that is out there in the fan base, you know, you've got half 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 of the fan base is kind of saying, hey, let's not overreact to one loss. Let's not make too big a deal of that. But And I think in the long term, that's still probably true. I still think that what this coaching staff can do, what the program can do now, the commitments it's made, it can rise above this level. But I do think it has also made us all kind of reassess where this program is right now. And that's sort of the, the referendum now on each week ahead is to sort of prove that that's not true. Right. Well, I mean, if this happened last year, you would just accept it and you go, kind of excuse it and say, Hey, coaching it's Hazel's fault. Yeah. Yeah. New, new coaching staff, you know, they're trying to work in a new philosophy. Guys aren't mm-hmm. buying in They're You know, they're, they're being renegades and all this kind of stuff. But now that it comes in year two, it's, it's, it's harder to stomach because you thought a little bit more foundation was in place. Because some of these, you know, they're getting their own guys in here that uh, are supposed to be, uh, you know, better players, you know, better talent and all that kind of stuff that they wouldn't be having this. And I, you know, Jeff has fallen on the sword on this and he should, but I'm not, you know, how much of it is coaching or how much of it just, it's the makeup of some of the players you have. Uh, You know, he claims he's going to hold them more accountable, take them out of games when they get stuff like this. You know, that's just something we have to wait and see what happens. But what are your options? I mean, well, would that have changed anything these first two no. weeks? Because again, it's not like Lorenzo Neal was pulling an Eddie Wilson or a TJ Jallo and getting personal fouls multiple right. times early in the game. It just happened at the worst possible time. You can take him out there if you want to, but the penalties already happened. The well, damage the penalties already happened and your, his replacements, all they're going to do is watch Northwestern take a knee. Right. <laughs> and right. And exactly. And kind of in the same thing with, with Cornell Jones. I mean, he played really well the whole game right. up until that point. And he was even playing well at that moment when, when this kind of and fluke he played well later. Happens. And this kind of fluke thing happens. That's that's the well, other thing here. There's some fluky nature to some well, of this. Well, the whole thing was fluky, but you know, when you go back and watch the replay a little bit, was it fluky, or is it just a guy that was caught in the moment that? Do I think he was trying to hurt him? No. no Do no, I think no, he no. made a dumb play? Yes. Yes. No a, question a dumb about that decision. But he came back and he teamed up with Bailey on a sack after that. Right. Uh, so he, right. he continued to play well. Right. But I'm sure later that night and. The next day, when he went through film session, he got, you know, Nick Holt was probably standing on top of the table, which he did during the Golden Black days on BTN. <laughs> it showed a one scene of Nick standing on the table, you know, encouraging his his defensive guys. But, um, you know, they're zero and two for a reason, and that's you know, that, I think that's clear why they're zero and two. But 
but could they can they can they overcome being 0-2? That's the question I think that as you look forward and with the schedule that they're about to face, that's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard to overcome where they're at right now and, and reach the goals that they want to reach or at least equal what they did last year. Yeah, we can move right ahead to that because that was going to be sort of the next topic I wanted to broach. But we both before the season thought that a six-win campaign was attainable for this team. That was maybe slightly on the optimistic side of things against this schedule because it didn't really leave a lot of room for error. But that, it still seemed plausible, and you thought that they would at least be 1-1 one one after the first two games. Being 0-2 really, I think, changes the perspective on that. It, it becomes so much tougher. You have even less margin for error on a week-to-week basis as far as being able to lose a game you should otherwise win or whatever. And it really puts a lot of pressure on you to pull some upsets. So this these next three games seem to be critical. If, if this team has any chance left of making a bowl... And I know after two games, that seem, maybe it seems dismissive to already be talking about them not being bowl attainable. But to have any chance of getting there, these next three games, you have to win at least two of them, I think. Or now you're talking about trying to find some value in what would ultimately be a four-win season probably at, at best. Yeah, I think this is, a, this is their first really defining stretch. And it was going to be regardless of where – where they were after two games in some, in some degree because the schedule just really gets tougher. You get you get a, a potent Missouri team, and uh, beating Missouri at 35-3 last year probably doesn't work and produce favor this year. No, I, I think this is going to be an inspired team <laughs> visiting West Lafayette you know, on Saturday got a, night. You know, in, this, in this era where everybody's a Heisman Trophy candidate, Drew Locke is a legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate. Indeed. And then the next week you've got a – another legitimate Heisman Trophy candidate in, in the running back in A.J. Dillon. And then you've got to go to Nebraska. Uh, so from a talent perspective, they're already behind. They're already an underdog based on just those factors. And when, you know, Jeff's right, you know, they just they need to be smarter. But if they do play smarter, if they do play tougher, and they do play harder, is it, will it be enough? If they play a clean game Saturday against Missouri, will it be enough to beat them? I, I don't know if I don't know if that's the case. I just don't know right you now. You play but, your best game of the year and not win, right? And that's that may be what happens these next three weeks. Not that they're going to play a perfect game, but they may eliminate these mistakes, but still lose. And they play better, but at the end of the month, you could be zero and five. And instead of and then you look back at those first two games and said, you know, what a wasted opportunity that uh that that they had you know go back one year to go back to our going back to our our first topic when you look back a year purdue goes into missouri wins 35 to 3 and at that point the tigers are an absolute dumpster fire like it looks like that is a program just mailing it in at that point well then the next week they gave up 52 to auburn right so (laughs) they're just getting smoked on a weekly basis where did that team end the season in a bowl game Um, so that's one, maybe that's one thing we should remember here is that it is only two games in and yes, it's a tough schedule ahead of Purdue, but there's a reason why people also thought this was a team that'd be in a bowl conversation just based on their talent, based on this coaching staff, but there, it's going to take a sort of making a left turn like Missouri did last year and really finding some ways that like right now, I don't know what this team's identity is. I don't know how this team expects to go out and win a game on a weekly basis the components seem to be there in some ways but it's obviously not coming together it's not you know um, 
focused in one way that, that's pushing this team over the top. Well, because I think you got a lot of other things that are going on with the penalties and some other things, and you, you've you can't really game plan for penalties. You can't game plan for turnovers. You know, a lot of this people want to blame coaches, and media does it too. I, I even said that this coaching staff deserves some blame for the zero and two start, but it's not like during the week you're thinking, well, when we get called for that personal foul penalty, here's how we're going to counter it. Like that's not that's not how football game preparation right. happens. Well, I tried to ask this question of Jeff yesterday. To the fact you have to spend time on making sure that your players don't commit these penalties or whatever accountability measures you're using, does that take away from your actual game planning? And I asked it twice. I'm not sure he really <laughs> answered my question, but I, th- I think he got around to saying, no, it doesn't. But basically you have to, while you're coaching this team to prepare for Missouri, you're also coaching this team not to hurt itself. Right. And that's an area they didn't have to do last year. Um, but you have to do it now. And I do think it probably takes away a little bit of time and focus and energy that the coaching staff has to worry about after this play is this guy going to get, you know, a penalty or, you know, what things do, do they do this week to make sure that these guys are playing hard and playing smart, but then don't do anything dumb. And will that slow down any of the progress on defense that they made last week as far as playing a little bit faster, being more aggressive? I mean, I, I, To me, that's going to be something interest, inter, interesting to watch Saturday. Or do they revert back to the way they were against Northwestern in the first half where they're just kind of tentative and didn't want to make a mistake type of thing? So, I mean, they, they, the coaching staff is going to have has to spend extra time on something they didn't think they'd have to yeah. this week. And it's all internal stuff. And... Uh, and it, it to me that's that kind of that that's going to be bear that bears to watch uh, coming up these next few weeks. Ironically, going into Daryl Hazel's last season, he and his staff had made it a big emphasis in the off season. They spent a lot of time going over, you know, because they'd had problems with personal fouls and stuff the year before. They made it a big coaching emphasis and ended up being less of a problem that season. Unfortunately, that team had other issues, obviously, and. That coach, you know, Hazel didn't last past midseason. I think kind of the opposite is happening now where you see ways that this team should be winning games but just kind of keep shooting itself in the foot. Um, so I want to get to some – we had some reader questions, listener questions, I guess would be a, a, a better way to say it. They read my tweet asking them for questions, so maybe they are readers. But um, And one of them just kind of gets to something we were just talking about, just are we expecting too much out of a roster that had so much defensive leadership that – vacated after last year between the the grad the people who graduated eddie wilson leaving all the you know a lot of defensive talent a lot of defensive leadership are you seeing evidence of that vacuum right now and that's contributing to this zero and two start i think a little bit uh you know even in the offseason i always wondered where this defense would be because of what it had to replace and that was always a question of mine uh but as you got deeper and deeper to camp and granted we didn't see every practice uh, but the ones that we did see, especially the first six ones, you know, the defense played well. Now, granted, they're going against the Purdue offense, so it's really hard to gauge. But they seem to be disruptive. They seem to to be playing a little bit faster as as the practices went on. And then when you get later in this later in the camp, and you have a couple scrimmages, and you know, and I'll take Jeff Brahma's word because I don't think he blows smoke just to blow smoke. 
he was really complimentary of the defense at, at, toward the end of camp and in the scrimmages they saw. Not to the level that he was last year about his defense, but okay, this guy's earned some credibility in his first year. So you kind of take him at his word. Okay, so maybe the defense is 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 making strides. Now in the same the same breath, he's saying we have you know the offense hasn't executed two minute drill all in camp. So, (laughs) so there's some, so some truth there and they've had some, they had some turnovers in camp, but I guess that maybe raised my expectation for the defense just a little bit to think, okay, you know, maybe they won't be as, uh, maybe they won't struggle as much early in the year that, that I thought. And then you saw the first half against Northwestern and that reaffirmed what I thought in the off season, but then, you know, they kind of straightened themselves out and then. Didn't play a perfect game against Eastern Michigan. Had had too many breakdowns, uh, but started to to get some pressure. So uh, there, the question of of the defense high expectations. There's you know I, I, there, there were probably some, but not not at a great level. Um, you know what I expected out of this defense was just to play well enough to get the ball back for the offense, and then the offense would have to take a bigger step which I don't think they've had they have right now yeah I think that's kind of what is happening I thought the defense would be adequate I think the defense has been adequate for them other than the first half of that Northwestern game it was inadequate but those last six quarters I think it's been largely adequate um though again that is skewed you were talking about the big touchdown that that was just dropped in the end zone which would have completely changed how we probably looked at that last game well I mean they are still having problems with pass uh defense you know the two starting quarterbacks that have played against Purdue, Thorson and, and Wiggers, they're both completing a combined sixty-seven percent mm-hmm. against Purdue's defense. That was an issue last year, yeah. uh, where uh, Purdue allowed uh, uh, quarterbacks and the, uh, the opposing offense to complete a high percentage of passes, and that's a huge concern coming into this week with Drew Locke at quarterback. Right. By the way, Drew Locke played one of his worst games ever last year and so it's not just the team-wide motivation i think coming in this week you're gonna have some individuals who are especially motivated to get some well, i mean purdue punched them in the mouth last year and missouri just folded yeah i mean that to me that's that's what happened and uh and purdue was able to dominate that game much i think it surprised all of them and i remember vividly still sitting in our our little outside tent press conference <laughs> with jeff brom he seemed giddy that they had just come into an SEC building and beat the crap out of an SEC team, regardless of where they rank in the hierarchy of right. the SEC team. I think that surprised him uh, what they did a year ago. Yeah, you're not, you don't usually just go on the road and beat teams like that, especially in, in a rebuilding situation. <laughs> right, and it, a team that it, it's, it's one of, it was one of the, the pieces of evidence that we thought maybe this is a little bit ahead of schedule. And right now we have evidence that things are maybe – a little bit behind schedule. It, it's, you're going to have those ebbs and flows, I guess. Right. But speaking of quarterbacks, we had um, a few questions about the quarterback situation. Uh, uh, Jeff Brom said this week, you know, uh, last week he had said, I'm going to play one, and whoever starts plays the first quarter, or, then the next guy will play the second quarter. Coming into this week, he says there isn't going to be one of those set rotations. Someone asked, it's actually someone close to the program. I don't know if I'm supposed to identify <laughs> who it is, but um, or formerly close to the program. It's not a, it's not a current, current player. Right. Asks, um, basically, why does the playbook change so much when Sindelar is in? And if the answer is because Sindelar is a bigger arm, what throws has Sindelar made this season that Blau wouldn't have also been able to make? And I, I see the point that he's making there. I think, in fact, I've seen some throws that 
that opening throw of the game that was wide of, of Rondell Moore by a pretty wide margin. If Sindelar had been in, I think that was more of a Sindelar kind of throw, throwing from the left hash to the right sideline, if, you're, if, right. You're, if you are the quarterback, if, if that's your perspective there. Um, but I kind of agree with this. I haven't really seen – we talked about this after the game. I don't know if I've really seen this this team, whichever quarterback is in there, really taking very many chances downfield. But some of that could be what they – feel like the other personnel on the field is whether that's the offensive line whether they trust the other receivers because Rondo Moore is not a, a deep threat in in a conventional way he's more of a short threat and then it ends up being a deep play um but yeah I I understand maybe some some confusion from not just fans but maybe even people who are close to the program as to what exactly they're trying to get out of these quarterbacks right now well I think number one in my mind uh quarterback situation is kind of down on the list of things that need to get straightened out. Now you have to do these other things, but also figure out what you're going to get out of that position. They're not getting the same production that they got last year. That's, that's clear. Um, and I, I still think they're going to need both of them uh, throughout the year for whatever reason. And Jeff has shown that he will, he will pull one if, if you have three turnovers in a first half or he doesn't like what's going on at that position. You know, there are different plays for these guys. They There has to be, because I, I think they're different quarterbacks. They are, yeah. I mean, yeah, they can run the playbook, but their their physical skills allow them to do different things. With David, you can you can run more. We saw how many quarterback draws last week. You know, you don't see that with Sindelar. Correct. Uh, and Jeff has, you know, realized that, you know, putting Blau in a position, a position to throw from one hash to the sideline or the far hash to the far sideline, Probably isn't the best the best move. He just doesn't have that kind of arm strength. Doesn't mean he's not a good quarterback. He just doesn't have that kind of arm strength where Sindelar does, uh, and he's more of a pocket guy. So they are running different plays. They are doing some different things. There's some base plays that are that are the same. You should be able to hit Rondell more whether you're Sindelar or Blau across the middle or on some shorter passes. You should be able to hit Anthrop in the in the same situations. You should be able to execute, uh, you know, ten yard outs or. Uh, you know, twelve-yard uh, curls or mm-hmm. you know plays across the middle. Both both guys should be able to hit the tight end. But I mean, I, I think you see kind of different plays with with each guy, and I, I don't know if that's uh, a negative. I, I think that Jeff's trying to play to each one's strengths and understand what each one's limitation is. He, you know, last year he said he wanted Sindler to run a little bit more just to keep the defense on, especially when they were in man coverage. He started doing that just a little bit, but obviously the last three games he, he didn't and couldn't because of his, his, his knee injury. And he's done it a few times uh, this year. So um, you know, I don't know if that answers his question or uh, helps, but um, they, you know they, they, they do overall they need better play out of that position, and, and those two guys need to elevate the rest of the team when they're in there. And I, I still think we'll continue to see both. And by the way, if you go back to that game, any number of small plays make a huge difference. And it wasn't the quarterbacks that cost them a field goal on that third red zone possession. It was Rondell Moore who gets a pass over the middle, fumbles, they lose it. And I don't, you know, it, I know Spencer Evans missed an extra point, but that still would have been a pretty makeable field goal from there. Pretty easy. Um, Even with the penalty right. that preceded that. Right. 
you're still in good field goal range. You're still in the red zone. You still got a chance. And to plus, get the some yardage points. he's getting made it even closer. Yeah. Right. So I mean, you know, it, that that wasn't the quarterback that cost them three points. That would have been the deciding points of the game, by the way. Um, although you, you can't say that for sure. You don't know how Eastern Michigan plays out the end if they don't have to just set up for the field goal. But um, I guess you know, looking ahead to this week, um, as we've already kind of touched on, this is a Missouri team that's going to have a lot of. Um, reason to come in and, 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 and try to exact some revenge. And I, I said after the game, I, mean, I think this is the best team Purdue's played so far. Oh, no question. When Especially when you look at what Northwestern did last week against Duke. Uh, they lose 21-7 to to Duke. So now you're questioning, well, how, how really good is Northwestern? I, mean, I thought they looked pretty good against Purdue, yeah. but obviously they had their struggles against Duke. Um, but, yeah, this is the best team that they'll play – it is a, it's a different kind of team. You know, Boston College may end up being the best team they play in the non-conference, but it's a different style than what you're going to see from Missouri. And, you know, Missouri's going to sit back there and just try to pick Purdue apart in the passing game with Drew Locke and their receivers. And, you know, they, they think they tried the same thing last year, but, you know, Purdue was able to get on top of them early. You know, Purdue's going to have to get a pass rush, and they're going to have to figure out how to cover these receivers. Uh, for an extended period of time because you're not going to get that pass rush all the time. And how do you manufacture that pass rush? How many linebackers are you going to bring to try to get Drew Locke, Drew Locke, Drew Locke off, his, uh, off his spot and make him, make him move and, or maybe throw on the run more than, he's, more than he wants to or you know, just make him uncomfortable? Can Purdue make that quarterback uncomfortable? That, that's the key question defensively. Missouri's played two games, just as Purdue has. They've played Tennessee Martin, and they've played Wyoming. So, again, not like they've played the best of the SEC East so far to get to their 2-0 start. However, averaging 396 yards per game passing and then another 183.5 per game rushing. So I think this is the concern for Purdue right now is we're talking about how this has been so far. The defense has been adequate against two teams that I don't think are dynamic offensively. Now they're going to face a team like that. So even if this defense performs adequately again, it's still going to give up some points. And the pressure is on the offense to not just you know get over the hump they had the last two weeks. I think they really have to make a, a pretty significant jump this week, not just in terms of moving the ball, but, but certainly in finishing off drives that they haven't been finishing off. I think last year Missouri came in with some pretty gaudy numbers too and <laughs> didn't do anything. Well, this isn't that same thing. I know defense. it's not. I know it's not. Uh, but you know, I, I think you know, Purdue – but Purdue has to pick it up offensively, and this is a defense I think that you can you can do that against. They're not really known for having a strong, strong defense, um, so you should be able to to make make some hay here. But you're at, you're in a position now where you have to play a perfect game. You've got to you're going to have some penalties, but you can't have the the bone crushing penalties. You, you really can't have any turnovers. And the the big overriding question is if Purdue plays a clean game doesn't have the back-breaking penalties, doesn't have turnovers, can they still win? And I, I don't know if that's going to be the case this week. They could they could do all the things that they've done. All the, They could fix all their problems, fix all the mental mistakes, fix all the physical mistakes, but still not win because they just don't have enough to beat a team like Missouri. One more quick question. We talked earlier this year about how the redshirt rule could um, change the way that Purdue affects or deals with some personnel situations. After Spencer Evans 
had some struggles this past week. This is one of the questions readers asked. Do you see a change in kicker this week, or do you think there's at least sort of a competition going on this week to decide who, who ends up kicking on Saturday? No, I don't I don't think there is. I, I think that the plan is to redshirt J.D. Dellinger. Now, if, if – But he could still get in he games. Could, he could, but – um, I, I think I think they're going to stick with what they 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 decided. Yes, he's missed some kicks, and you've lost two games by a combined five points. Would do those kicks become magnifying? Yes, they yes they do. Uh, but I, I I would anticipate him still still kicking, uh, and then we'll see what happens if you get deeper in the season where you're still seeing the struggles. Then maybe you maybe you put JD in. In some situations, uh, but the over the overall plan is to is to redshirt him and and save a year for him down the road. There were definitely I thought some moments during Jeff Brom's press conference yesterday, and this is one of them because he was talking about the the court of the, the kicker situation. But it seemed like sometimes coaches use these situations to send messages to their teams, and I thought there was a message that was kind of being sent about accountability, about responsibility, and about maybe just sort of stepping up a level for for lack of a better term yeah i mean not that he wouldn't have been making that point directly or behind the away from the microphone it's one thing when a coach says it in the meeting room or says it on sunday night to say this is what we're going to do you guys need more accountable but then when it gets out in the public realm and you're reading it on twitter or facebook or whatever and you're a player or your parents are seeing it or your friends are seeing it, it 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 takes on a different it, it defines the narrative about the team, right? And it, it it it's like, oh, he is telling people about us. He is saying that we need to be more accountable, and each guy is going to respond differently to that. It's not it's not a universal. This is how we're going to act, type of thing. I, you know, I think different guys respond are going to respond differently. Some guys are going to take more pride in not making those mistakes again. Some guys it may not may not affect. At all, but once it you know it gets out there and that becomes kind of who you are, then we see you know if they're if they're capable of changing it and, and they will changing it. And the other thing you have to worry about if you're Purdue because you've 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 piled up personal foul and unsportsmanlike penalties. Are the officials going to watch you closer mm-hmm. because oh, yeah. of what, what's happened in prophecy, the, yeah. yeah what you've done in the first two weeks? You know the crew that's doing the game on and this will probably be an SEC crew that comes in here. And in doing their research and prepping for the game, they're going to see what penalties have been called against Purdue, and are they going to have a uh, you know a closer eye on what happens? Yeah, no, that's that's a good point, and I you know I, I think this is a team that right now, as I wrote this after the game, you know, right now their identity is how they're kind of self sabotaging on, on a weekly basis. Again, only two weeks in, but that's still that's what we have to judge by. That's what their identity is right now. I think they can take they can change that this week. I think they can show themselves to be um, not prone to that. But it, like, I agree with you. I don't know that that necessarily can, can that very may easily not, that may not a win. equal win. Right. But if they can clean up the penalties and clean up the mistakes and play a cleaner game, that would be a step forward. That would be a step forward. That would be give them something at least they didn't have to at least on the surface, you wouldn't have to worry about going into the next week. You wouldn't have to spend time on it. But I think that's the first goal for this team is just go play a cleaner game, do the things that you know how to do, and then take it from there. And if you end up winning, fine. If not, at least you've cleaned up one area of, of your performances from the first two games. 
We'll come back to jconline.com this week for more pregame coverage from Mike uh, going into Saturday night's game against Missouri. And uh, follow him on Twitter at Carmen underscore JC. Follow me on Twitter at InBairedJC. And uh, follow us. Find us on iTunes. Find us on uh, wherever else you find podcasts. Um, rate us. Give us feedback. Uh, recommendations. However, you know, help spread the word on the Boilers Extra podcast. But I'm Nathan Baird for Mike Carmen from the Journal and Courier signing off. We'll talk to you after Saturday night's game.